Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried, it was our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. Down the Via Dolorosa In Jerusalem that day The soldiers tried to clear the narrow street but the crowd pressed in to see the man condemned to die on Calvary. He was bleeding from a beating. There were stripes upon his back. And he wore a crown of thorns upon his head. And he bore
triste día en Jerusalén los soldados le abrían paso a Jesús mas la gente Friends, we welcome you to uh, this beginning of the Holy Week as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, this is a very special broadcast here on the Lighthouse Live International Broadcasting Network. Uh, I want to draw your attention just before we begin here to introduce our guests this evening to John 10.10, Jesus talking about the shepherd and his flock. He says, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep." Going back there and just repeating uh, verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Mm -hmm. And tonight we want to open up your mind a little bit and look at the salvation message. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we approach uh, Resurrection Sunday, friends, uh, we would submit to you that it's more than, and don't send me cards and letters when I say it's not just salvation important to have that eternity with our Lord Jesus Christ. But when he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, 
not just talking about eternity, but the here and now and the abundance and the fullness of a Christ-centered life right now is also implicit in that uh, in that message in the message of resurrection sunday so we'll be unpacking that over the next uh, couple of minutes here on lighthouse live joining us uh, tonight of course our producer and co-host elaine harlan and our special guest uh, tonight pastor ross bryles pastor of a parish of 250,000 and a congregation of 50. Have I almost got that right? Um, yeah, you're pretty yeah, close. Pretty, pretty close. You're to pretty it. close. A <laughs> uh, good friend of us here at AVC, a uh, uh, good brother in the Lord and, and someone who's in the trenches with us in the, in the city reaching movement. And also with us, uh, our prayer intercessor, the inimitable Mr. Al, Al Ramsey, uh, with us as well. Want to um, start out tonight by... Uh, Quoting from a book that was recently written by uh, by George Barna, and he makes uh, makes a couple of points, and I want to kind of frame our uh, our discussions tonight with this. He, he writes this: While American churches receive hundreds of thousands of volunteer hours each year, and a small but significant share of that time and energy is expended on serving the needs of people outside the congregation. Our studies have shown that most Christians do not serve anyone in the community during a typical year, and it is a minority of churchgoers who serve more than a handful of hours within their church during the year. Now, we'll be talking about that in, in just a little bit, but I, I want us to, to center on, and, and Ross, we had the opportunity to rub shoulders with and spend time with people from uh, around the U.S. and around the world a couple of weeks ago in Orlando, Florida at the Mission America and uh, Luzon Committee Conference. And I think one of the themes that we heard loud and strong is that the salvation message needs to not just stop with an eternity with Christ, but it needs to embrace all that Jesus has to bring us in this life, and uh, I'm not sure that that uh, we historically in our Western church have really taught that, centered on it. Maybe we intended to, but we, we seem to have oftentimes left the salvation message of getting saved and not really embrace everything that, that Jesus died for. I would, I would say a hearty amen to that, Michael. One of the things that has occurred to me over the years is that if the sole purpose of Christ's work in us was to get us from this life into eternity, he would have killed us as soon as we mm. became Christian, mm. Mm. and he would have saved everybody a lot of a lot of challenges. The fact that we're still alive, I think God is still at work within us for purposes that we need to tune into. I just, uh, it's more than just a get-out-of-hell-free card, mm -hmm. and that's quoting from the book you alluded to, uh, Maximum Faith by Barna. I think it's a lot more than that. Mm. You know, and also um, others have written to that impact or to that point as well. I think that we are called to become like Christ. We are to be uh, his instruments, his hands, his feet, we're to be salt and light in the world. Uh, he still has a purpose for us here. Amen. So I would say that we need to understand that we're not called just just to be a Christian in uh, in name only. We're 
we're called to be followers, disciples of Christ. Elaine, I, I think uh, we've, we've mentioned this off and on over the, the nine years uh, here at ABC, and, and that is that there often is a, is a concept that God the Father is a kindly old guy with a long white beard with long flowing <laughs> robes that runs a rest home called heaven. You know, and that's just not yeah. what the sacrifice of his son was, was all about. And, and again, salvation, absolutely critically important. And we don't diminish that in any way. Amen. But wow, the, the fullness of Jesus's sacrifice, the, the, the torture that he went through, uh, the agony, the pain, and the significance of the turning point of all human history does not just apply to eternity. It, it, it applies today. It applies very much today, and we certainly don't minimize all that he went through there on Calvary's cross, and we certainly don't want to, uh, to get that message uh, across tonight at all. You know, you guys, Ross and Mike, you read a lot of books, and sometimes you pass some of those books along to me, and I'm very grateful for that. And one of the latest books was Richard Stern's A Hole in Our Gospel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the quotes that he, uh, he passed along in his book, and I, I love this, he says, when our churches become spiritual spas in which we retreat from the world, our salt loses its saltiness and we are no longer able to impact the culture. And you alluded to being salt and light, Ross, and I think that is so important. You know, when our churches become spiritual spas, and sometimes we see that happening, and we need to remember that we are to be salt and light. And if we are only serving one time a year, you know, whether it's in the church or you know, we want to get out of the four walls of that church, hopefully, and serve. We need to keep those kinds of things in mind, I think. Well, and I think if we look at, at the lifestyle that, that Jesus demonstrated to us, he was all about being in the streets. He was all about connecting with people. He was all about meeting the immediate need. And and then eyes would open and, and they would see the, the you know, God reflected through him and and we are his ambassadors and and I, I think we're we're tasked with uh, with the same and uh, it seems to me that uh, Jesus had a theme you go back to Matthew 22:37 through 40 which we all f- often quote you know to paraphrase it love love God with everything you have with your whole being and and the second commandment is, is like it Love your neighbor as yourself all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So it wasn't really an either or. It was a both and. Love God with everything you have. And really, if we're loving God with our whole being, with everything that he's blessed us with, out of that flows that loving our, our neighbor yeah. as uh, as ourself and and it's not just a, a sense of doing good but ross i i think at least in our corner of the earth here in in uh, stanislaus county we've seen circumstances the economy the people that are in government right now i think we see an open window where we can carry out jesus's command in in a great way with government budgets kind of kind of dropping I think government is looking to the church and welcoming the church to be involved in ministering to the community. I would say a hearty amen again to that, Michael, because one of the one of the challenges that we've had is 
I think the devil has known that as long as he could keep Americans prosperous, mm. Mm. he could keep Americans from a vital following of Jesus Christ. And being an influence in government, um, for a number of years it appeared that different silos would say, give me enough money and I will solve your problems, mm-hmm. whether that silo was government, whether that silo was education, whether that silo was the church, mm-hmm. whether that silo was uh, business. Uh, I think what we under, are beginning to understand is that God has a, a place for all of those silos, if you please, call them spheres of influence, whatever you would c- care to call them. But we need to work in the way that God has equipped us. And it's not just about throwing money at a problem. Mm. Uh, we want to be a part of what God is doing in the world. A little a little digression, and you know me, Michael, I, I'm not a real linear thinker. You're a good Weber. Uh, yeah. Uh, somebody said, yeah, right, Ross, you're just confused. <laughs> that's a possibility as well. But I really think that one of the things that, we need to understand in our journey is that the Lord is about his kingdom coming. Mm. The great prayer that we call the Lord's prayer probably would be better called the disciples prayer because it was in response. uh, Jesus gave it in response to the disciples request, Lord, teach us to pray. And it was for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth in Modesto, in Stanislaus County, even as it is done in heaven. Uh, it's. Uh, I was challenged a few years ago by how many times Jesus spoke of his kingdom coming. And it's probably somewhat north of 120 references mm-hmm. in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where Jesus spoke of his kingdom coming. And I think that is significant now I realize there is a there is a a part of that that is certainly way out. Well, no, no that's wrong. That is yet to be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. But I believe that it is also a present reality that we are to be a part of, and that's what I think we need to plug into: loving God, loving people, serving people, and doing what we can to to be. Well, you've said it in the following way, to be Jesus with skin on it, mm-hmm. where people can be able to see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. You know, I, three things that I, I thought were uh, hit many times at this conference that uh, that we went to, Ross, humility, integrity, and simplicity. And, uh, y- y- you know, in our, in our Americanized version of, of doing church, um, we can become so wrapped up in the metrics, in, in the measurements, in the numbers. And, and, you know, sometimes that's to please boards of elders, and sometimes that's to please the pastor, and sometimes that's, you know, just to please whomever. Um, but, but what really uh, got, got to me a little bit uh, d- during this uh, week that, that we spent there was the, the genuine 
sense of repentance for the way that we've gone about even missions overseas over the years, where uh, we often would come in with the best of intentions, and I want to underscore that. We're not being critical. We're just stating what is. With the best of intentions, we've come into cultures over the past couple of decades, and we've decimated the culture with the gospel. You know, uh, and, and it's not that our American culture is the way to do Christianity. You know, uh, Jesus's uh, word is Jesus's word, no matter what culture you're in. But if you come in with humility and, and with integrity to, to walk our talk and with the sim, really the simplicity of the gospel. And Elaine, our, our friend Dr. Jim Henneman is often yes. fond of saying God is simple and deep. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's, he's both. He's simple and deep. But the simplicity uh, of the gospel message that, that Paul often gave, you know, that the humility, the integrity, and the simplicity uh, are things I think that we need to cross-check ourselves on when we come into a community. Uh, let, let's just take an example. And, and, you know, we don't have to get into, you know, specific organizations or names or anything. But I think we've we've all learned over the past couple of years that we can learn a lot from the non-believer. We can learn a lot from the person in the neighborhood if, if we just listen to, you know, their angst, uh, to what they're upset about, and, and come in with, with that gentleness that, that Jesus came in with when he, when he served people. And oftentimes that builds relationships we wouldn't have had otherwise. The ability, I think, that we need to foster or develop, maybe is a better word, is the ability to listen. Mm. I don't think that I have been willing to listen well. And I believe there is truth. Do not misunderstand me. I believe God's truth is truth. And I don't think that that needs to be uh, negotiated. I don't think it needs to be diminished. I think it is uh, what you read at the beginning this evening that Jesus is the door to the sheepfold. And I don't think that's a negotiable item. But we do need to listen to people and see where their hurts really are, not where I perceive their hurts are. And that my heart needs to break for what breaks the heart of God, Mm -hmm. not for what I have identified. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can hear what is breaking the heart of God in the voices of the people in the neighborhood and by listening. I, my opinion is that we in the Christian community have been too quick to parachute into a situation and tell them what we, uh, what we see needs to be done. And the people that live in that situation every day, every week, every month, we don't listen to. And then we jet out of there after we have given our opinions. And sometimes we wonder why that we're not well received. Mm. And doing cultural violence, um, you know, the gospel is not, not just wrapped up in our Western view of what the gospel is. Uh, a number of years ago, and I'll go on another one of my tangents here. A number of years ago, I spent a day with a man in um, in Bangalore, India. The man was a, a an auto rickshaw driver, and I was there to visit deaf 
institutions, deaf uh, uh, schools, things of that nature. And so in order to do that effectively, I hired the man for the day. I paid him probably three or four times what he would normally have made as an auto rickshaw driver and provide the fuel for him. And that evening he went to the same congregation that I was attending the service that evening. And I was absolutely amazed at the depth of this man's relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. He was a man, and I learned from him. I was with him from his standards. I was a wealthy, wealthy Westerner, which is not totally true by any stretch of the imagination. But my point being is I, I learned to listen and appreciate that man. I learned more from him than he did from me. Wow. So learning to listen and look, I think, are two important things. And, Ross, like you were saying, when we fly in on our our parachutes or when we ride in on our big white horses with our perceptions on how to peop- to uh, help people, aren't we often amazed at, at not only how we haven't helped them or what their perceptions may also be of how they receive or don't receive God? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Dr. Chris Wright uh, was on a video that, that we saw, Ross, and, and, and there was a, a, um, a quote that he had that I thought was just absolutely wonderful. He says, there's no biblical mission without biblical living. Amen. And we really have to, you know, the, the old, uh, I did a funeral for, for someone on, on uh, Sunday, and I was asking her daughter, uh, surviving daughter, I said, you know what? What, you remember any sayings that mom used to have, you know, that just kind of stuck in your mind? And she laughed and she said, yeah. He said, mom used to always tell me, do as I say, don't as I do. And I thought, well, <laughs> you know, our, our, and, and we've all, you know, struggled with that from, from time to time. Um, but, but really, Jesus gives us kind of the, the 180 version of that. And, and of course, when, when he confronted the, the Pharisees, he was all about the hypocrisy that, you know, they were sitting in Moses' seat and, and you people need to obey them because they're your, your authorities, but don't be like them. You know, what a, uh, I, I, I do not want to stand before God someday and have him say, you know, Mike, you said all the right things, but I don't want people to be like you were. That would be devastating, devastating to me. Um, Isaiah, in, in the opening chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 1, and I'm going to read from the message, Eugene Peterson. And uh, We're going through it. By the way, friends, if, if you can pick up the copy of, of his autobiography called Simply Pastor, uh, it is tremendous. That that man is so deep. But, but anyway, let, I'm going to read from from his uh, version of Isaiah one, beginning in in verse uh, verse eleven. He says, "Why this frenzy of sacrifices?" God's asking. Don't you think I've had my fill of burnt sacrifices, rams and plump grain-fed calves? Don't you think I've had my fill of blood from bulls, lambs, and goats? When you come before me, whoever gave you the idea of acting like this, running here and there, doing this and that, all this sheer commotion in the place provided for worship, quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games. Monthly conferences, weekly Sabbath, special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. Amen. 
uh, meetings for this, meetings for that. I hate them. You've worn me out. I'm sick of your religion, 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 while you go on sinning. When you put on your next prayer performance, I'll be looking the other way. No matter how long or loud or often you pray, I'll not be listening. And do you know why? Because you've been tearing people to pieces and your hands are bloody. Go home and wash up. Clean up your act. Sweep your lives clean of your evil doings so I don't have to look at them any longer. Say no wrong. Learn to do good. Work for justice. Help the down and out. Stand up for the homeless. Go to bat for the defenseless. Wow. Ouch. Yes. <laughs> Ouch. You know, and, and again, we're not being critical. We're just saying, you know, it, it, it seems that, that God is offering us the opportunity to look at how we've received the sacrifice of his son. And I, I just am, am getting more convicted every year that uh, we, we haven't really approached the, the fullness of, of walking out the gift that, that God has given us. Amen. Amen. There's um, uh, another um, couple of points I, I thought were, were very, uh, very interesting. And uh, these were uh, comments from Ed Stetzer, uh, another brilliant theologian. He says, we must regain confidence in the gospel message we must discover that God is the source of the mission. We must encourage disciple and disciple active participants in the pews. And and he equated the word, and I'm not big on saying lay people, Ross. I don't know about you. I, I, I think that's, uh, I don't think God ever intended a hierarchy here. Uh, but he says, when you talk about lay people, you're talking about laying around. We must move customers in the pews to be co-laborers. In, in, in the field. And I know that we've talked many times, Ross, about the fact that, hey, you know, the, a lot of the real ministry that happens happens Monday through Saturday in the workplaces, in the, in the streets. And, and that's, I think, where we need to focus the power of the living Jesus is to bless the business people out there, the people going to school, and affirm them as ministers of the gospel wherever they may be. Another C word that um, goes along with the ones you just mentioned is that we have developed a whole cadre of consumers mm. of spiritual goods and services. And I don't, I'm not, I'm not just sure that the Lord is satisfied with just consumers. I think he wants us to be people about his business and what he has in mind. And that is to be his arms, his feet, mm. and to be able to represent him well. Mm. To, well, Paul said it well, I, and I would give you the location, but I don't recall it. He said, follow me as I follow Christ, yeah. mm. and we are to be followers of him. Uh, it goes back to something you said just a few minutes ago about don't do as I do, do as I say. Mm. And I was reminded that yesterday, and uh, I mentioned it in my Palm Sunday, Passion Sunday sermon about the little boy that whose father would go off to the bar to drink excessively and never thought anything about it until one evening he decided to go to the bar to do his normal drinking and it had a fresh snow that had just fallen. So he is stepping walking to the bar, 
And all of a sudden, as he was nearing the bar, he looked behind him, and his little son was just stretching to step in his father's footsteps. Mm -hmm. And he stopped and he said, son, what are you doing? He said, I'm trying to step in your footsteps. Mm -hmm. And he looked where he was going, and he turned around, picked up his son, and went back home. I believe that that, I, I think I need to look behind me and see where people are are stepping Amen. and then look where my footsteps are leading mm-hmm. is is very important and your your mention of the the term lay people i'm not sure that god ever intended for there to be a sacred secular divide mm-hmm. as someone has quite well said and if i remembered who it was i'd give him credit but the sacred secular divide i don't think is there i think we are all called to ministry as Christians. Some live it out as in the vocational ministry area that we have called the sacred area, and, and I don't think that's correct, but there's, there's vocational ministry, and I'm fully in support of that. But the ministry that really I believe is needed to be affirmed and identified, released, and lived out is what I would call the marketplace ministries. Mm-hmm. And I think we're beginning to see uh, a great deal of that. Amen. Yes, amen. Well, you know, on Sunday morning, everywhere with glad hearts, you'll hear many responding to the pastor's word. He is risen. He is risen risen indeed. indeed. And we'll be back right after Matt Marr's song, Christ is Risen on Lighthouse Live. Yeah. 
Christ is Risen from Matt Marr on Lighthouse Live with Pastor Mike. Special guest Ross Bryles and Elaine Harlan and Al Ramsey with you on this special celebration of our risen Savior. So as we celebrate the, the risen Christ this Sunday, I'm going to go back to a couple of notes uh, that I took from uh, uh, a discussion with Dr. Deborah Gill at the conference, uh, Ross, and uh, her, her, she was talking about a, a larger eschatology. Uh, in, in other words, uh, looking at what, what we look at in terms of, of uh, the end times and, and the purpose of life and, and enlarging that a little bit. And here, here's a couple of concepts uh, I'd like us to, to look at in, in relation to our celebration of the risen Jesus this coming Sunday. Salvation is not all there is. Salvation is not all there is. People need saving from their present hell in addition to the hell that is to come. I love that. People need saving from their present hell in addition to the hell that is to come. And um, I talked, uh, talked a, a little discussion about the need to include the concept of recreation of the present world in the picture of eternity. And, uh, Elaine, we've studied uh, Randy Alcorn's uh, book called Heaven, and certainly that's a great theme there. We highly recommend that. She says, our, our, uh, Dr. Deborah Gill said, our hope is not in the desecration, but in the recreation. In other words, it's not just about Jesus coming back to zap everything and to nuke us, uh, all the bad stuff, but it's all about that recreation of what we know now in the image that, that Jesus would, would uh, want it to be. Uh, we must give freedom to inspire innovation in ministry, and we need to look at the concept of justice evangelism, and she defined that as finding shared interests to champion with the secular world. And I think, Ross, we were talking about that just a moment ago uh, and, and Elaine as well, that when we look at bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to especially a, an impoverished community, there really is some great wisdom in the coming in very humbly and, and finding out and asking, what do you need? Where are the hurts here? You know, what matters to you? What breaks your heart? And And I think that a lot of what breaks the heart of, of people in, in, in terribly hurting areas is the stuff that breaks the heart of God, you know, because he sees his, uh, his uh, people suffering. And finally, a, a quote here, don't practice evangelism at the expense of the kingdom. Mm. Don't practice. <laughs> Let me read that again. Yes. I, it took me a couple of minutes after she said that to wrap my head around mm-hmm. it, and you know my head doesn't wrap real well anyway. But <laughs> don't, and you didn't need to chime in on that, Elaine. Just, but just say it again. Say yeah, it. don't practice evangelism at the expense of the kingdom, hmm. and uh, and that that's part of standing back and saying, are, are we really living out the fullness of the life that that Jesus? wanted us to uh to live and and ross there's there's no easy magic bullet here in terms of getting in i mean the these things that we're talking about at least for me have have been a journey of over 15 16 years since arriving here in modesto and 
And uh, you, you've been uh, a big part of kind of opening up my head, which I understand is a scary proposition, <laughs> but opening up my head what and, was in there, Ross? and saying, are, are we, do we really have this nailed in terms of how we're approaching ministry? Or is it possible that we're missing something and we're not living out the fullness of, of what God wants us to live out in terms of, of ministry? In response to that, Michael, one of the things that occurs to me is I think we've probably gotten the results of our best efforts, mm. but it hasn't really met the challenges. So I think we need a infusion, if you please, of the power of God and into the lives of people. A part of that is coming alongside to serve uh, all of us, we hear a lot about leadership development. I think one of the the parts that often is overlooked in leadership, and I'm all for leadership development, but I think one of the parts that often is overlooked is being a servant mm. in that. Mm. Not a lord, but being a servant. Mm. Uh, our, our master, the one whose resurrection we're going to be s- celebrating, came to serve. Yeah. He was a servant. And a part of that serving, uh, just a little picture that I came across some years ago, word picture, was whenever Jesus on one occasion was feeding the multitude, he caused his disciples to go out and sit them down, count them off. And in order to do that, they had to become closely associated with the hungry. Mm. They couldn't just stand afar off and say, okay, line up, here's the smorgasbord, here's the buffet, feed yourself. He had to go out and literally put them into groups of people to be fed. I, In my mind, I don't see that directly quoted maybe from Scripture, but in my mind, they had to go out and count them one, two, three, four, five, and put them into groups to be fed. I think we have to touch people, Mm. and that is not done remotely. That's not done from afar. That's down and getting dirty. Uh, A number of years ago, I took two young uh, students at a Bible school uh, that I am acquainted with, and there was a widow lady who lived in a little house out at the edge of town in the country, and Prior to my arriving there, there had been straight winds of probably 80 to 100 miles an hour, not tornado winds, just straight winds, that had blown trees down around her house. One of them had clipped the corner of the house and torn it up a little bit. And so I told one of the instructors, I said, give me a couple of guys. I want to show them what real ministry is like. We got a chainsaw. We went out. I ran the chainsaw. I didn't trust them to do it. <laughs> but, uh, of course, there was another reason that I ran the chainsaw. I had them dragging the brush out and piling it up. It's a lot easier to run a chainsaw than it is to drag brush. We're getting a visual but, here. Uh, anyway, uh, I took them out, and we spent the day in what I believe was real ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I'm not opposed to ministry from behind a pulpit or in a in a building that we call a church. But I think the real ministry happens as we get our hands dirty with people. 
Let's go back to Isaiah. There's a lot of great stuff in Isaiah. Chapter 58, and and God is talking about um, fasting. And uh, he's he's addressing his his children about, is is this the kind of fasting that I'm asking for here? I'm going to pick it up uh, around verse uh, 6 in Isaiah 58. Again, I'm going to read from the message. This is the kind of fast day I'm after, to break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. Whoa. Hmm. Do this. And the lights will turn on, and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help, and I'll say, here I am. You were talking about what breaks the heart of God. I I think in Isaiah, it gives us a pretty good clue there. I agree. Uh, I do too. And you left out the part about the chainsaw. It was in there. I know. Yeah. Oh, no, I skipped the chainsaw. Yeah. The... <laughs> Elaine, you uh, you you spend most of your day uh, talking uh, to people who are desperately in need, mm-hmm. and especially in this uh, economy. And we understand this broadcast goes uh, around the world, wherever you may be listening, but. Here in Stanislaus County in California in the United States of America, our unemployment rate is up, what, 17, 18%? 18.45%, I believe. Yeah, 18.5%. A lot of folks out of work, a lot of hurt, a lot of angst, a lot of worry, Mm -hmm. a lot of hopelessness out here. And as as you're listening uh, to these people, Elaine, Talk a little bit about the value of establishing the connection, establishing a relationship, and how powerfully God uses that in the field when, when those connections are, are made. Well, when people call us, Mike, they are hurting, and you can sense that on the other end of the phone. And a lot of times it's because they have lost their jobs. Uh, it's a lot of times because they are homeless, they are in a, a destitute situation, they're not calling because they're having a good day, yeah. uh, but when they call, they are wanting help with something, whether it be because their utilities are cut off because they've lost their jobs or you know they're just having rough times, and what we can offer them is that connection with people, like Ross was talking about, who are willing and available to be connected to help them in some way, whether it's to help them with something around the house, to help them clear the limbs, wash the gutters, uh, provide them with transportation to one of these places. Maybe their car doesn't work anymore. They couldn't afford to fix it. Whatever the case may be, that glimmer of hope that they see, that uh, that shining eyes and that, that just the kindness and the love with which they're being served, they say, hey, why are you doing this? That's right. That you question know, is asked. That question, yep. the door That's is right. open, and it establishes that relationship. And a lot of times we see a bond uh, forming, and it just knowing that someone else cares. There's other people out there who are going through the same type of things mm. that they are, and they begin to see a hope, and uh, that really makes a huge difference for them. And, and we see uh, a few who turn around and serve others. Mm-hmm. And and we're not talking about people with a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. 
you know, but there's something that they can do. God, God has gifted all of us with something that we can do to reach out with the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ to, to serve. I want to come back to George Barna and his book, Maximum Faith. He, he makes this point. The needs in America, much less around the world, are huge. Can you imagine the impact of having followers of Christ willingly engage in regular and frequent opportunities to help other people without any likelihood of personal reward or recognition? Hmm. Could we instigate such service if we diminished our marketing of church programs in favor of stimulating simple love through acts of sacrificial service? How would families be impacted if the local church were committed to providing opportunities for families to serve together? Hmm. You know, and Ross, we've heard a bazillion times, you know, we, we have gang problems here in the Central Valley, big time, you know, and, and uh, Elaine, we've taken junior hires out uh, almost on a monthly basis to wipe out some of the graffiti and we participate in gang intervention problems. But you talk to law enforcement people, Ross, and, and the sheriff and the police chief will tell you that they attribute the gang problem ultimately to the breakdown of the family unit. And we have a wonderful opportunity as the body of Christ not to say to our kids, go out and serve. Good way to serve Christ, good way to make an impact. But we have a great opportunity to take them with us out there, and our children just learn by example that way, don't they? It's one of those things that is better caught than taught. Mm, yes. We can teach it all day, and it will have some impact, but I think it's better caught than taught. And as they see us doing it, then they will desire to emulate it. Uh, Spinning back to something you just alluded to a moment ago, there's a passage in, uh, in I think, Second Peter that said we need to always be ready and willing to give a good defense mm-hmm. for our, our faith or the faith that we have. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about it uh, is that passage doesn't end with a period there. In fact, very few of us, at least in my limited experience, know what follows that passage. It says we need to be always ready and willing to give a good defense for our faith. And then it says, to everyone that asketh you. And to me, the reason people will ask is because they see our good works that glorify our Heavenly Father, that don't draw attention to us. But they're going to say, what is there about you that causes you to live as you do, to do what you do, to serve as you do? I think that is a, a missing ingredient that um, I need to work on. I think we all do. Uh, there, there's another thing that we discussed uh, about a week or two ago, Ross, in, in the company of some other uh, people who are concerned about reaching our communities for Christ. And, uh, and that was... The, the church itself, unfortunately, has done its own polarization. Uh, you know, you have, unfortunately, one camp that is said it's, it's proclamation. You know, the word will not return void. It's all about proclamation. And then you have other people being accused, well, you're just doing social gospel. You know, all you're doing is serving and you're not proclaiming. It's both. it's both we 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 need to carry that integrated message god and 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 jesus did that so wonderfully so masterfully 
in in his life. And and, and Elaine, we've been uh, studying Acts and, and and Paul. And think of the way Paul integrated all of this together in a tremendous way. Thinking of you know as as he was out planting churches in in Galatia and and Asian Asia Minor. At the same time, he was saying, "Hey, we got a massive problem in Jerusalem. You know, we we got a food problem, and and uh, they need some help." So as he was going out there, he was collecting money to send back to Jerusalem. So he was integrating the needs of the community, as well uh, the physical needs of the community, as well as the uh, the spiritual uh, needs of of the community. That's right. He was and. Uh, I tell you, just no better example than Jesus, uh, our master, as you said, to integrate all of those wonderfully. He was the balanced example. He was our standard. And, and Ross, I just appreciate all of the wonderful things that you came to share with us tonight as we celebrate our risen Lord this week. And we just thank you for being here with us. And You're welcome. We hope that you have a wonderful celebration, you and Marie and all of your family and your congregation. and. Uh, Just what a a very special time here with you on Lighthouse Live as we celebrate our risen Savior and long to commune with him. And on behalf of uh, Pastor Ross, Pastor Mike, Al Ramsey, and myself, Elaine Harlan, we wish to thank you, dear friends, for listening. And we wish you and yours a very blessed Resurrection Week as you observe and celebrate our risen Messiah and Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless you, and we'll see you next time.
Respond to your invitation. We respond to. 